Busy, busy Tuesday here on Raw Tools. A lot of irons in the fire. Thank you for joining the show. This is Luke Slaybaugh. Big Game Boomer, as you may know him on Twitter and Instagram, is joining the show. Real life name, John Whitaker. Really insightful, intelligent guy. I look forward to our interview later in the show. He is wicked smart, and his top 50 lists and power rankings are almost certain to go viral, almost certain to infuriate college football fans and make them laugh. Love John Whitaker. Super happy to have him on this week. And there's so much going on in the world of college football that it's hard to keep up with the coaching carousel. Biggest headline out of the weekend, University of Florida fired head coach Dan Mullen. Criticism of Mullen knows no bounds. He was a subject of one of my monologues just a couple of weeks ago. And it was weird because Dan Mullen was considered a safe hire. 7-5 and five was supposed to be the floor on an off year, and he was supposed to take the Gators not just to the SEC championship game, but to the heights that they previously experienced under Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer. But it wasn't to be. He lost to the University of Missouri in Columbia on an overtime uh, two-point conversion play. And it's funny, the last few years, you look up the amount of coaches that got fired immediately after losing to Missouri, as if Mizzou, my alma mater, was the barometer for whether or not you were a good team or a bad team, if you had a successful season or not. And I would opine as we start this show that Florida is not the job that it used to be. In fact, I would argue that it's a bad job and that top head coaching candidates on the market, be it Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, Dave Aranda, might want to steer clear. There's no guarantee at any given moment that the Gators will be the best program in their state. You've got Florida State up in Tallahassee. UCF will soon be a Power 5 school when it joins the Big 12, and Miami down there in Coral Gables. And you look at the state of dysfunction that the Gators program has had since Urban Meyer left in the middle of the night in 2010, they've gone through three coaches to varying degrees of success. None have gotten them back to that zenith where Florida believes it belongs. But I'll address this coaching search as it plays out in the coming weeks. I don't see anything imminent happening, but we are getting into that crazy coaching carousel season where fans are checking flight trackers and correspondences, and it's becoming really nutty. But I want to pivot to the team that beat Florida, and I'm going to do this very briefly because we've got a long show, and I know that Missouri Tigers football is not a brand that spans nationally and is a hot topic of discussion right now, especially not given that they're 6-5 and five this season. But I was thinking about this the other day, and when it comes to your goals, aspirations in life, or a team effort, you can have a vision for what you want, but you can achieve your goals in multiple different ways. And when I think about Missouri football and its peaks and valleys, And when it has been at its best, the image of what that program looked like does not equate to what I'm seeing right now. You had the rough, ragged, soft-spoken Gary Pinkle. Didn't say much of anything really at his press conferences, but in 2007 to 2013 in particular, uh, those teams had an identity. D-line zoo, rough, gritty, pounded out victories. For a very brief moment, the best team in the nation in 2007. One game away from the national championship game appearance in 2013. 
I was at that SEC championship game in Atlanta when they got wiped, when they got curb stomped by Auburn. It was heartbreaking. And I wore it as a badge of pride for a long time that I saw Missouri football when it was at its peak. Nothing ever since then has encouraged me to believe that Mizzou is getting back to those days. And I've been really skeptical of Eli Drinkwitz. I've said on my Twitter account that I don't believe he's the head coach of the future. I've been very frustrated with many things. He hasn't figured out the quarterback situation. The defense is a mess. And I know progress isn't linear, but in year two, there were a lot of question marks. They lost to Boston College. Not only did they lose to an out-of-conference opponent in the ACC, they, they went on the road. It's a very... I don't know how to put it. There's such a beta energy around the program sometimes, whether it's the supporters or whether it's the program itself, to play a road game when you are an SEC team in the premier conference in the United States, and then you get embarrassed on national TV by Boston College. Something doesn't sit right. And Eli Drinkwitz was not the image of the coach that I wanted for Mizzou. I'm used to Gary Pinkle. I'm used to... The intense former Mizzou Tiger, Barry Odom. I thought he was a good fit. Still think he is. And Drinkwitz has never played a down of college football. I was skeptical. And you would be too. If you have twins and childbirth goes wrong and your doctor has never performed a C-section before, you would be worried. And so I'm looking at these moments, rewinding them in my head. I look at 2007. I look at 2013. And the 2021 Mizzou football team doesn't look any iota close to that. I had a conversation with a friend a couple nights ago, someone who I've been really close with since high school, and we had an insurmountable problem we were talking about that none of us could solve in terms of something that I was chasing in my life. He says, you're not chasing that moment. You're chasing the track record of experiences that build over time, the full story. It's about the ride and not necessarily the end result. When you're a fan of a college football team, you sign up for everything, the highs and the lows, the mundane week in and week out. And there are so many things that Drinkwitz has done to endear himself to Missouri fans. He's not particularly cordial with the media. He's kind of a smart aleck. Uh, There's pettiness. Uh, The barbs he took at Dan Mullen after upsetting Florida with the lightsaber and putting on the hood and saying, may the force be with you. A callback to Mullen dressing up as Darth Vader after he beat Mizzou the year prior, something I still don't completely understand. I'm not going to endorse Drinkwitz. I will hold by my statement that I don't think he's the answer long term. There's not enough evidence to say that he is. But I also know that progress isn't linear. And there are seeds of a good program here. And you go back to those early stumblings in the season where the D-line hadn't figured it out quite yet. You take away those losses to Boston College and Kentucky, and those are just a couple of plays away from being different results. And you're looking at a 9-3 and season, maybe? 8-3 and going into rivalry week against Arkansas. And the narrative changes completely. Because you have that evidence that, that the corner is being turned. And a lot of Mizzou fans will sign up for 9-3. and Heck, they'll sign up for 8-4. and that's what I'm used to, at least, is go 4-4 four and four in conference, schedule some cupcakes for the first four weeks of the season. That was the Gary Pinkle, Mike Alden scheduling. Four non-conference games you can win, 
go 500 in the conference, go to the Independence Bowl or the Music City Bowl, and everything is good. I'm sorry if that was too rambly. What I need to remind myself is that the way college football storylines play out and the way that these teams can take a trip to the national championship or to whatever goals they have, whether it's a conference title or winning a division, they may not look the same that they did seven or eight years ago. Good talk. We are going to really quick speed through this power ranking of the top 10 NFL teams. Yeah, yeah. I say this because we've got John Whitaker coming up for a great conversation. And also, I have the same teams as last week. It's just my top four teams lost and my bottom six teams won. So it was a, this shuffling of a deck that was really weird. But here we go, the top 10 NFL teams on Tuesday, November 23rd. 10. I could have had the Ravens here, but I don't. I have the Bills. Uh, got rolled by the Colts 41-15, dropping significantly. This is just an inconsistent product. Buffalo needs a running back. They need better decisions from quarterback Josh Allen. I said that this team has a Super Bowl ceiling, but we never once stopped to think, what is their floor? Nine. Green Bay hasn't lost consecutive games since Mike McCarthy was fired in 2018. They are on the brink of that happening despite Aaron Rodgers throwing for a season-high 385 yards, also dealing with a toe injury. This is going to be odd to see how it plays out against the Rams this week. Eight. Uh, the Cowboys lose 19-9 to Kansas City, did not score a touchdown, 5-15 on third down, 276 total yards. Take a look at the next five games they've got scheduled. These are all easy. These are all winnable. There is no reason the Cowboys can't turn this around and once again be the powerhouse of the NFC. Seven. The Chiefs, back-to-back -back games looking like a complete product. They locked down the Cowboys, which was odd, coming up against the most efficient offense in the NFC. Uh, the defense for the Chiefs, which had struggled all year, had timely play. They stick around again at the top of the AFC West where they belong. Six. Tampa Bay didn't look challenged early by the Giants. The score at the half didn't tell the story. A big game coming up this week against... Five. The Colts. This is a team that's getting hot at the right time. I said they wouldn't win their division just because the Titans had been so hot. But uh, think again. And Jonathan Taylor finding the end zone five times. That is the performance you want out of your running back. The guy is an unstoppable force. Four. Rams were on a bye, and I was kind of uneasy the way that they lost to San Francisco. I didn't see that coming. And I'm bracing for this game. They're a one-point underdog right now to Green Bay. That game is at Lambeau. So Vegas has some confidence about Matt Stafford producing on the road against his former division rival, the Packers. Three. Titans uh, Miserable conditions, lost to the Texans, four picks from Ryan Tannehill. Uh, this one, just shove away. Let's not talk about it. They badly missed Derrick Henry, but this is an aberration. Two. The rise of the Patriots is happening again. The best point differential in the NFL. And I'm coming around on the idea of Mac Jones being a Super Bowl MVP in his rookie season. A great supporting cast. A good team that Bill Belichick has built around Jones. One. The Cardinals, uh, the first team to make it to 9-2 in the NFL. Colt McCoy throwing for 300 yards against the Seahawks. And it seems like they're getting Trace McSorley in for quarterback depth as well. I don't know how that votes for Kyler Murray and getting him back from that angle injury. 
and DeAndre Hopkins as well. They miss, but credit to what Steve Kime has put together on this roster. Credit to Cliff Kingsbury for the coaching job. Right now, they're the best team in the NFL. My guest this week goes by the name of Big Game Boomer on the Twitterverse. He's a very popular social media presence. His real name is John Whitaker. He's from historic Edmond, Oklahoma, which is an elite suburb of Oklahoma City. He's a University of Oklahoma alum and a self-described college football junkie. He is the host of the upcoming YouTube and podcast show, The Big Game Boomer Show. John Whitaker, welcome to Raw Tools. How are you? going on man how's it going happy sunday <laughs> it's fantastic yeah we're recording this on a sunday a lazy sunday for me uh i don't know what, what you've got going on over Sunday's there crazy fit. for me man because i'm just cranking out all my player rankings and uh for the for the for yesterday and just yeah it's it's busy i'm watching a lot of a lot of the games from yesterday um putting together all my player rankings so it takes basically all day to do, but it's, I enjoy doing it. In terms of your process, how long does it take you to conceive a makeshift top 50 of of the schools and the players that that you want to include in your lists? Well, with the players, I try to make it as accurate as possible. Um, I'm watching three games at one time at the same time all day on Saturday. So I'm taking notes, watching stuff. Um, so it takes a while uh, to get because I, I do want those to be fairly accurate um, just because like coaches and players and the school university accounts retweet them. So I, I do try to make those very accurate. Um, uh, and, you know, they seem to get a lot of engagement because um, I don't think anyone does like a top 50 player ranking every week based on, you know, the prior week performance. So that's fun. For sure. I just do like receivers, quarterbacks and uh, and running backs just because it takes it take me forever to do it for every position. <laughs> that that is such a unique niche that, that you found in terms of the, the top 50, this comprehensive power ranking style. And you mentioned the interactions you're getting within the last couple of weeks, at least Liberty University, the University of Toledo, Clay Helton, the the future coach of Georgia Southern, former USC coach. How crazy has that been to get those interactions treating you as this verifiable, legit national source? Uh, It's been awesome. I mean... Lang, I'm pretty sure Lane Kiffin has my tweets on like auto notification because anytime I tweet anything good about Ole Miss or or Lane Kiffin, he he always retweets it. So I love Lane. He's he's my he's my boy. Um, so yeah, it's it's been really cool uh, seeing just the the type of accounts that are retweeting my content. It's been it's been very cool seeing how much it's blown up over the last year. And you have a lot on your plate with those player rankings and team rankings and and so many other things that we'll get into later. Uh, How much more do you want to do? I mean, I, I I mean, this, this isn't my full-time job. So, so it's kind of a hobby. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll just see kind of how it, what, what happens. I mean, this time last year I had like 50 followers on, uh, on Twitter. I didn't even use Twitter until Thanksgiving of last year. I was just bored and started getting online and arguing with people and was getting in arguments with like Desmond Howard. He was like ripping me for OU losing to Iowa state and Kansas state. And, uh, 
ever since then, I've just kind of had this passion for getting online and just kind of see just, you know, people get mad, so mad about college football. And, uh, you know, here we are a year later and I've got almost 25,000 followers and then I've got over 20,000 followers on Instagram. Um, it's just wild how much it's blown up. You are tapping into the insecurities of a number of fan bases and, and you're very mild mannered about it. You're not inflammatory. You do a really good job of interacting with fans and other figureheads as well in the media and coaches. And I'm curious, I'm trying to think of a, of a way to put this just, you mentioned getting, getting all this right. How much is it paying attention to, the, the stats and things, the tangible stats from games, and how much of it is a subjective eye test, um, kind of going with your gut and your experience? Um, I'd say it's about 50-50. Like, so I just uh, released my QB rankings for this past week, and like um, I put for the Bama-Arkansas game, I don't know if you watched that game yesterday, it was a great game. Um, I put KJ Jefferson, I ranked him higher than Bryce Young. And I'm getting a lot of flack for that on um, on Twitter just because, you know, Bryce Young had those gaudy numbers. And, uh, you know, I was saying KJ Jefferson put together a gritty performance. He doesn't have five-star running backs, five-star receivers, five-star offensive line um, to, you know, help him get those huge stats uh, that Bryce Young's racking up. So um, I, thought, I thought KJ Jefferson played better, honestly, just because, I mean, he literally – almost willed that Arkansas team to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, which doesn't happen often. So, um, yeah, there's a little bit of subjectivity to it. But, yeah, I mean, then I do look at stats and see, you know, who's, you know, had a great week. Um, So, yeah, a little bit of both. That is a super ballsy move to take a record-breaking performance from, from Bryce Young and then say uh, the opposing quarterback provided more value, <laughs> so just objective value in that game. I don't necessarily disagree with it. Um, how much, I mean, let's take that Alabama-Arkansas game, for example. When you do your yeah. team power rankings and you have a margin of victory that, that's that close within a touchdown, does that affect maybe you dropping Alabama or keeping Arkansas the same, or how do you go about those rankings? Yeah, no, I know I would keep probably when I'm doing like my power rankings, I would definitely keep, um, you know, I, I think Bama's the second best team in the sec. Um, but you, I, I would not move. Um, I, I wouldn't really move Arkansas. I mean, they played great yesterday. Uh, gave Bama probably, I mean, Bama hasn't looked that great. I mean, they've struggled in a lot of their games. So, I mean, um, hats off to Arkansas, but I mean, Tennessee gave them a tough time. Florida gave them a tough time. We just saw Dan Mullen get fired today. Um, So I I don't know. I I can't wait to see Georgia, Alabama, just to see if Bama and that offense can score on Georgia's defense. If you had to set a betting line for that UGA Alabama SEC championship, what would it be? Man, I'd put Georgia. I would favor Georgia. Um, I, I don't know. I think this the line on that game when it comes out is going to be less than a touchdown. Um, it could go either way. Uh, just depends on what if Vegas thinks that that Bama can score on Georgia's defense. I think Bama might be slightly favored. 
It's crazy. We've seen these insane lines in favor of Georgia this season, and, and they've been confirmed like 25, 30 point betting lines, and they've covered. And, and I just expect that it started, I think, the, the preliminary ones in Vegas started at minus three for Georgia. And I don't know, I think we could see upwards of 10, just the way that they've rolled people and met expectations. It's really going to be something to see. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, with the with the actual like, you know, the AP and the playoff rankings, I tend to don't go by those. I like to see what Vegas is saying, because there's just been some crazy lines this year where like top 10 teams are underdogs against um, unranked teams. I mean, it's just been wild. You haven't seen that in years, I feel like. Um, so I've kind of been basing my projections based on more of what Vegas says, like with Utah, uh, I think they were, they were favored, um, and they just blew out Oregon out of Salt Lake city yesterday. So Vegas knows something. Yeah. Vegas <laughs> is where the money is. It's trying to get people to make just an objective, rational decision. And, it, and it's very offense friendly, I think, especially when it comes to NFL games and those betting lines. Um, whereas, I mean, we know that there's something up with the college football playoff committee, that they've got some disconnect with reality. A lot of AP poll voters, I feel some homerism. I feel some some need to, to be corrective and fair and ethical in some instances where it doesn't really matter. Uh, so it makes sense that people are turning to Vegas or your betting juggernauts your fan duels your draft kings uh every other kind of knockoff your fox bets and all that um to get the information they want right yeah no i mean we could have a a hour discussion on those playoff rankings because i i just think they're 90 percent of the time a bunch of garbage so (laughs) that's something that's one thing joel clatt from, from fox he he pushes for a more condensed maybe like a four or five person college football playoff committee that, that really can hone in on what the rankings should be and worry about certain specific criteria that matters the most. That's why my team or the studio soapbox is the network that puts this podcast out. We have the last few weeks done a poll of top 25 and it's just four of us. And there's, some massive differences, but there's some compromise in there as well that um, the way we calculate our polls evens out. And, and it's, you see some dramatic shifts from week to week, but that's how college football should be. If you're Oregon and then you have an absolute dud against Utah, you should drop 18 spots in the poll because yeah. there are 20 other teams that could probably beat Utah. Yeah. No, totally agree. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you you real briefly mentioned uh, Dan Mullen being fired. Have you considered doing a top ten or rankings list of candidates for the Florida coaching job? It, uh, yeah, I was thinking about doing that. Uh, someone actually just messaged me. I get all these lists, people sending me ideas for lists and rankings all the time. Someone wanted me to rank the head coaching job uh, positions, like the most attractive jobs for that are open right now. So I'll work on that. Um. You know, I have thought a little bit about the Florida job. Um, one name that just kind of comes to my mind immediately is Mark Stoops. Um, I just I think he's had success in the SEC East, a smaller school, and if he went to to Florida, had more re, you know money and resources to to win and would get better recruits. I I'd be interested to see what he can do because I think he's done a great job at Kentucky, but I don't know if he'd leave Lexington. 
Um, yeah, I, that's something I'm definitely going to look into, see who who would be a good fit in Gainesville. We've just got so many big time jobs open this fall or, you know, at the end of the year, it's just crazy. <laughs> a lot of sleeping giants teams that at any given moment are three years away from a national title appearance, but just constantly underperform. I do like the idea of, of Mark Stoops, first of all, because Stoops and Gainesville usually have a pretty good track record of success. Um, and secondly, like with Mark Stoops, you've reached a ceiling. Like you, you, you can win nine or 10 games in Lexington, but in terms of making that next tier, whether it's new year, six bowls, playoff appearances, there's no track record in the culture of the program that, that leads you to believe that you could do it. And, and surprisingly enough, that's the, the obstacle that Dan Mullen faced at Mississippi state. You could win nine games at Mississippi state on a good year, uh, but he never finished higher than second in his division. So that's like a match made in heaven, right? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's all in Mark's or Stoops's mindset. If, if he's content at Kentucky and, you know, occasionally having that, those 10 year, 10 win seasons, um, you know, he's, he'll stay there, but if he wants to take his coaching career to the next level, I think he, going to Florida would be a great move. So from Thanksgiving, 2020 to now you've gone from 400, 500 followers on Twitter to close to 25,000 now, roughly about that. And you mentioned you've gotten some, some good, great, not so great ideas in your inbox for ideas and lists. What have been some of the craziest ideas that, that fans have thrown your way? Oh, they want me to, to rank like the best hashtags for that every school uses for their recruiting or, um, the, 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 the funny one I did was the best, best and worst, uh, stadium bathrooms. That was one that somebody asked me, my, or it was actually my brother-in-law. He was just begging me to do that list for forever. And so I did it, took, took a quite a bit of time trying to do my due diligence, asking around, getting some feedback and uh, <laughs> put that out. And it was pretty, you just get some hilarious responses. Um, so stuff like that, uh, best and worst parking for stadiums. I mean, all kinds of, I get all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I'm always I'm always thinking of what's the what's the you know what's something I could do that would get a lot of you know people engaged. Um, I start I don't know if you, I mean I do these student section rankings, and those honestly I you know Taco Bell does those, but I feel like my student section rankings have more clout to them than what Taco Bell does. I mean they just go it goes crazy and like. All day on Saturday, I get people sending me. I mean, I probably got a couple hundred pictures and videos yesterday of student sections. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I always post those around ten between ten and noon on Mondays. Uh, I, I use today to, as a day to kind of review stuff. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. And then you get just you know the school accounts and coaches and everyone just retweeting it and you know as if you know it means something. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. I'm going to be sad when the season's over. I may start doing it for basketball just to have something to to do. But uh, you can tap into a whole new market, especially your your Kansases, your Dukes, the yeah. <laughs> the, the, the non football schools that have clout in that area. That would be great. And you you mentioned something there. You're 
you're providing these photos and a lot of times it's empty student sections, <laughs> empty stadiums, and you're tapping into the insecurity of a lot of football fans because people can be lackadaisical about how they support their schools. But when you go after USC's fan base or Michigan State's fan base or Wisconsin's student section, all of a sudden it's, oh, no, you don't. You can't question <laughs> You can't question our loyalty. I had to deal with this a bunch um, just talking about Mizzou fans because it can be a little bit, they can lapse as well. But you tap into that and you have unleashed a monster on Twitter, but you back it up with evidence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's turned into something. Uh, It's fun. And I, you know, I don't, people just get so mad. I, I love how passionate people are about that kind of stuff. I mean, we don't see that in any, other sport. I mean, that's what makes college football so great is just people get so, you know, wrapped up in all that kind of stuff that it just, it, it, it makes for great debate. <laughs> you've, you've gone on the road a couple of times too. I remember you were posting from Fresno state's yeah. uh, stadium. Yeah. How much did you do that? Fresno? Yeah. I, I just, Oh, you had to buy that week. And I was like, Hey, what's a good game day place I should go to. And Fresno reached out to me and was like, Hey, come out, give you a ticket. And, uh, you know, I flew out there, met up with the athletic department, you know, gave me, showed me around. It was a great time. Um, then tailgated with some fans, met, met, met some great people. Uh, Fresno is a very underrated uh, atmosphere for sure. Um, really kind of the true, only true college town in California, if you think about it. Um, and it's, uh, it was fun. So I hope, I'm hoping I can do more of that next year. Um trying to, you know, travel to different game day sites, uh, meet, you know, hang out with some fans because I've got followers from every school. Um, so yeah, definitely. I want to do that next year for sure. Hold on. Did you say the Fresno state athletic department reached out to you? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They just DM'd you and said, Hey, here's a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. And I came out there and met, met them and we took toured the facilities and, um, you know, I, it was really cool. I got to see kind of how, you know, an athlete, you know, the marketing department, how all that works with their social media. And it was, uh, it was really cool. That is so cool. Yeah. You don't hear about that that often, but I yeah, mean, you've no, got was, that clout. Yeah, no, it was, uh, great people out there. Um, just treated me with all kinds of respect and yeah, I had a great time. So this isn't your full-time job. What do you do? No, <laughs> no, I work in finance um, that I do construction work. Um, so this, th- yeah, this is just a hobby that's kind of, you know, spiraled into, uh, you know, big time stuff. I mean, a lot of times I make these lists and stuff at night and then I will just post them kind of throughout the day. Uh, like once I get my son down, um, put them together and then, Sometimes I'll have my wife even post them during the day uh, if I'm too busy. So it's uh, it, it, it's fun. It's a it's a team effort for sure. <laughs> so so this is a family enterprise. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whitaker oh yeah. My, yeah. And my uh, wife I, went to OSU, so um, you know we've got Bedlam coming up. So it's uh, it it's getting pretty heated in the big game boomer household right now. <laughs> oh my goodness! How did you all make that work? Um, she's a pretty low-key fan you see i've got some osu stuff behind me um so i mean i don't i don't really i don't have a problem with osu it's texas that i don't like 
Um, so I do root for OSU when we're not playing them. Um, so, but yeah, we get along great. It's just trying to teach our son which school to choose. He's kind of trying to determine if he likes OU or OSU right now. That's kind of a, a struggle. <laughs> yeah. How old is he? He's three years old. Oh, so, so he's got, he's got time. He's got plenty of time. Yeah. Could, yeah. Could, could turn into a TU fan could do a. <laughs> uh, yeah, as long as he's not a Texas fan, I, you know, I don't. It doesn't bother me what what school he chooses to root for. Well, that's great that there's compromise and there's uh, that is such a, a great dynamic to have. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, with Bedlam, well, actually, yeah, there's a couple of ways I wanted to approach this, but with Bedlam coming up, uh, one thing I've noticed on, on social media this year with OU fans is that they've noticed that. OSU's defense has been performing at an elite level. Things are going relatively smoothly in Stillwater. They had the one obligatory, lukewarm, Mike Gundy fart of a loss to Iowa State. But otherwise, it's been a good year. And it's been very cordial. It's been a lot of, oh, like, this might not be OU's year. Like, Bedlam could be interesting. But I've heard that for the last two years, and it just it doesn't ever add up or live up to the hype. What are your expectations for Bedlam this year? I can tell you right now, I'm picking Oklahoma state to win that game. Um, because yeah, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from OU fans, but I mean, when you look at it, you know, in the past when OSU's had a good team, I've never really been worried about playing OSU just because OU, you know, Mike Gundy has this kind of, I think he has this feeling that he can never beat OU and he doesn't prepare as hard for OU. Um, But this year just seems different because of our offensive struggles. We can't run the ball. Um, And OSU has one of the best defenses in college football against the run. So in Stillwater on Saturday night, um, you know, if we've got Caleb Williams, if he's going to be starting, you know, he's really struggled throwing the last couple of weeks. I'm just, I, I don't feel good about it. Um, and that's just honestly how I feel. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, we'll see. But, you know, right now I, I don't feel good about it. I, I think a lot of OU fans don't feel good about it as well, just because I don't know how many OU games we've you've watched this year, but it's been ugly. It has not been a, a typical OU, you know, flashy offense, um, you know, just blowing everybody out kind of year. Um, we've had to grind victories out. And, um, you know, I expect it to be that way. I haven't seen – have you seen the line come out yet for that game? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I wonder – I wonder who – I bet OSU's favored by like three or something. But um, – What if – Vegas makes OU a six or seven point favor just out of nowhere. And with our discussion that that's where the money is, would that change your mind? Uh, no, I just, I just don't, I don't feel good about it. I, I did not feel good going into the Iowa state game. I picked them. I picked OU just because I was like, Lincoln Riley's never lost two games in a row. Um, I see them bouncing back. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this could be the year that, uh, that, that OSU, knocks off OU and we'll, well, if Baylor loses to, I believe they play Texas tech. If they lose, then we'd have to play OSU again in the big 12 championship, which would be kind of funny playing, having Bedlam two weeks in a row. 
but uh yeah that's that'd be an interesting dynamic and i feel with the way they've scheduled the, the big 12 the conference slate it's been something that they've tried to avoid i remember the original 2020 schedule had bedlam in october which yeah. i was really i i wanted to happen because of the implications it would have for the rest of the season but i don't know i mean i covered those two teams um for two years in the, the 19 season and the 20 season and it seemed that that osu it wasn't preparation it was just the way that they buckled up and how conservative the play calling was in yeah. those two bedlam games Absolutely, like yeah. they were supposed to have like the roster of destiny they had chuba yeah. hubbard who's an nfl running back and tylen wallace who's an nfl receiver and so many good players on defense that it just it never made sense and for yeah, that reason made- i can't i can't see that happening but i could totally be wrong yeah now you hit the nail on the head i mean i just think gundy accepts the fact that he can't beat ou and he's he's okay with that and you know as long as they win nine or eight nine ten games a year and they lose to ou it's not the end of the world for him now their fans hate that um and they all that he gets a lot of flack for that but but um I don't know. I just have a bad, I just have a feeling. This is the first time maybe since 2011 when they did beat us in, in Stillwater and won their first ever big 12 championship that I've felt this way. So um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, throw them a bone once a decade. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've watched most every Oklahoma game this year and really besides the Texas tech game, it has been kind of a, a walking on eggshells kind yeah. of thin ice uh, type of feel. Yeah. It's been frustrating, especially with all the just the offseason hype. And I mean, who would have thought Rattler would get benched? And I mean, it's just it's been something else, man. I'm telling you. How much are you worried about Lincoln Riley's situation or the rumors that come up with, about with LSU and other? Yeah, Um, you know, he's turned down NFL jobs before uh, he's turned down the Eagles. I know the Cowboys were, were wanting him uh, a couple years ago before they hired uh, God. What's his face? Mike drawing blank McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I you know I, I I know a lot of LSU folks that really think that Lincoln Riley's coming to to uh, to Baton Rouge. Um, there's that rumor of that con- massive contract that they offered him. It was like 96 million. Um, over eight years, so that's like twelve million a year, which is just insane money. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't see him leaving. Um, he kind of inherited this job from Bob Stoops. It was kind of gift wrapped, gift wrapped to him. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'll be shocked if he leaves. But if he doesn't, if he does. If, if he does end up leaving LSU, I'm not going to have any hard feelings. I understand if it's a money decision. If someone offered – if he, he's making $7 million right now. You know, if someone offered me that kind of money, basically double my salary to do the same thing, I'd probably take that offer. So, you know, we'll see where his loyalties lie or, you know, what he values. The Oklahoma job – is such a prestigious one. It reminds me a lot of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers job because they've only had like three coaches really through the course of their run. And, and for Oklahoma, it's like Wilkinson, Switzer, Stoops, boom. Like that was, those were the dynasty years. And so Lincoln is, you know, five years into this now, I believe. And how much 
of an identity crisis would it be for Oklahoma fans if in the middle of the night he says, you know what, Seattle Seahawks want me, LSU wants me, New York Giants want me, I'm out of here. I think if it happened, if this happened last year, I think you would have seen a lot more fans kind of really, really angry with him. But the just the vibe kind of around the OU fan base this year has been kind of disappointed in him. And um, he's a great coach, but just how, you know, OU gets blown out basically anytime they get into the playoffs. Um, and just this year just kind of seems like a huge disappointment, even though we only have one loss. Um, people are frustrated with Lincoln Riley and how he's kind of managed this season. Um, so I don't think it would be like a doomsday scenario for OU if he leaves. Um, but, uh, but we'll see. There's an interesting connection I made here. Like I used to cover the University of Tennessee. I worked in Knoxville for three football seasons, and right now the fan wow. base, you know, a, you know, Vol Nation, so. and I love Vol <laughs> Nation. Because, yeah, they're great online. <laughs> great for the interactions, and you've yeah. said a lot of great things about them this year because their yeah. offense is throwing sixty burgers on people. And so right now they love Josh Heupel because they've never seen this offense before, and he's taken them to a bowl game. They, they've exceeded expectations. And so there's this honeymoon phase with Josh Heupel that will no doubt go away in August of 2022. Like the honeymoon ends there. <laughs> and it's not so much because Heupel's a good coach. We know this. He has the track record. But the question in year two for the Tennessee job, and it would be the same in Oklahoma as well, or LSU or Alabama is, yes, this person is a good coach on paper and they've proven that they deserve this job. But is this the guy that's going to be hoisting the national championship trophy? That is the ultimate bottom line question with Tennessee fans. And I feel it's the same for Oklahoma as well, because we're 20 years removed from the Sooners winning it. Have we reached a ceiling with Lincoln Riley that this the Big 12 title is, is the zenith and, and there's not much it, else after that? It feels like it, it to me, it honestly feels like it. I feel like he has reached his ceiling in Norman. Um, I hope I'm wrong. But his best his best best chance to win the national championship was in 2017, and that was with Bob Stoops' players, Baker Mayfield. Um, uh, I was at that Rose Bowl when we lost to Georgia. That was the best Lincoln Riley team uh, that he's had, and uh, seems like it's gotten a little. It's gotten every year. It's gotten a little worse. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's the quarterback play. I mean, we've had, gosh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, um, and then now we're with, you know, guys that Lincoln has recruited. Um, so it, it's just it, – it's different. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, a, that's one thing a lot of the LSU fans, um, even writers, say that that's why he'd leave uh, OU is because they think he has reached the ceiling in Norman. And, I mean, I – it's hard to disagree with them uh, just because of what's happened on the field. I mean, I hope he proves, pr proves people wrong, but um, you know, I, if, if OU makes the playoff somehow, I think they'll get in, they get the fourth seed. I think Georgia will just, you know, just massively blow them out. And I don't want to see that happen. Honestly, um, I'd rather play in the sugar bowl against whatever sec team, didn't make it to the SEC championship. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think there is a he has there's a ceiling and he's he's either reached it or is pretty darn close to it. I was dating a, a Georgia fan in 2017. Um, and I don't know how many times I was forced to watch that Nick Chubb out of the wild dog formation yeah. touchdown. I got really <laughs> sick of it after a while. I was happy in the moment, but that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it feels feels bad to be on the other side of that now. Yeah. Um, How did you get the nickname Big Game Boomer? <laughs> so I just, uh, like I said, I was just on Twitter. I didn't really have a, I just kind of used my name, John Whitaker, but I decided to change it to something else. And so, you know, Big Game Bob it was Stoops' kind of nickname uh, back when he was early at OU and was winning big, big time games. So I just changed it to Big Game Boomer. And uh, I guess it just stuck. And it's gotten to the point now where I really can't change it because it's kind of a a name. I mean, that people, I mean, people kind of know and <laughs> it's kind of a brand almost. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I got the name. Pretty, pretty simple. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. A brand that carries a lot of weight and a brand that's going to help you when you launch your podcast and YouTube show, The Big Game Boomer Show. Uh, what can you? What details can you share about that show coming up? Yeah. I, I was going to try and get it started before the end of before the season started, but I, I just I was doing it on my own, and there's just too many logistics. And I, I want to when I, when I launch it, I want to make sure it's it's a good quality show. Um, you know, we were going to have talking about, you know, lists and rankings that I put out, you know, look at the comments, kind of have like an open message board, people commenting, people calling, calling in, uh, asking questions. We were going to have players and coaches interviewed kind of talking about, you know, just college football and stuff that's going on. Um, so that's kind of the, the idea of the show. Um, and, you know, I, we're kind of working right now to kind of, piece that down to where it's not like a to where it's like a 30 minute show, not like an hour show because it gets too long. So still in the early stages, but I'm hoping, you know, starting New Year's kind of after college football season starts kind of the dead period, we'll get something going Um, because people ask me about it all the time. I just got I just got to get it started. Like I said, this isn't my day job. So I, I do this in the the wee hours of the night trying to figure stuff out so it's uh yeah it's a work in progress it's rough man i mean like you said the biggest hurdle is getting started yeah. and uh, i mean just kind of starting from scratch that's kind of what we're doing here we don't really know where it's going to take us but um it happens all right john whitaker big game boomer on twitter and instagram thank you so much for joining yeah. us thank you for joining Absolutely. i look forward to collaborating hopefully in the future because this was an awesome conversation and you've got yeah. so much knowledge to share it's been great yeah no no thanks for having me on i appreciate it anytime hit me up I'd be happy to join <laughs> thanks yeah no problem we will wrap up today with our college football playoff poll the studio soapbox poll it's me coach Bo, tyler jones and thomas bridges ranking the top 25 teams in college football uh the top Four, we'll actually give you the top six. Uh, unanimously, Georgia and Cincinnati in the top two spots. Ohio State is in our third spot this week, moving up from number five. Alabama at four. Oklahoma State moving up to number five. And Notre Dame at number six. Michigan and Ole Miss right behind them. 
The biggest fall, Oregon falling from 4 to 13. That's a 9-spot drop. Michigan State getting the doors blown off them by Ohio State. Dropped 7 places from 9 to 16. And Utah, having beaten Oregon, goes from 25th in our poll a week ago to 17th. We also had a three-place tie at the bottom of the poll between Clemson, Arkansas, and Wake Forest. The Clemson Tigers beating the Demon Deacons and ruining their shot at a playoff spot. Again, this whole top 25 list can be seen on my social accounts, at Luke Slabaugh, on Twitter and Instagram. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to John Whitaker, Big Game Boomer, for that great discussion we had. Be sure to follow him on his Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast if you liked it. Send it to a friend. We are off this week for Thanksgiving. We will not have a show this coming Tuesday. I've got a lot going on, and I look forward to updating you as these developments happen. But it's been a ride so far. I need a week to relax, so just a break. But this has been great, and we will see you in two weeks.